Let's go to God in prayer before this gets way out of hand and we can get into our text this morning. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you so much for uh, your Son, for our Savior, um, for your justice, for your grace, for your mercy. And we thank you for this place, which we call home, these people which we call family, whom you call your children and your heirs. Uh, We thank you for a place where we can come, where we can find meaning and purpose, not only for this life, but for the next. We can find a place where we belong. We can find a place where we fit. We can find a place where we are yours. I pray that as we leave this place, we take that purpose along with us, the direction and the hope that we have in Jesus, and we live a life that is in accordance with your will, that we understand how far you have come for us, and we are motivated to be different, to be transformed by your Spirit, and to be led. We pray for these next few moments as we open up your word. I pray that we would be still, that we would allow your Spirit to work within us, And that as we leave this place, we will allow ourselves to be led. We would have the boldness to follow and the courage to do the things that you've called us to do. May we be your people, your ambassadors in a world that is so desperately seeking you, whether they know it or not. Who is starving for your word, whether they know it or not. Who is dying of thirst for your son, whether they know it or not. May we be the people that bring them to this acknowledgement of you and your grace. We thank you for Jesus and the hope we have in his sacrifice and the unity we have in his blood. It's in his name we ask these things. Amen. While I have this out, I want to make sure it's turned off. I don't want an ESPN alert or something to go on. But, you know, we have these little tools. I was reading something on, uh, probably on Facebook the other day, and someone said, if you could go back into 1950 and bring someone into today's culture, what would be the most surprising thing that they would come across? And they said that in the palm of your hand, you can hold every piece of knowledge ever known to mankind. And we will use it to argue and watch cat videos. (laughs) Technology is amazing. I, I remember the days I was in Boy Scouts, and I remember having to earn, for one of my merit badges, I had to earn the Navigator's Merit Badge. And in order to do that, I had to be a navigator on a family vacation. And we went to Cloudcroft, New Mexico. How much easier it would have been had I had Siri or Google Maps to help. Uh, but I pulled out a map. We mapped the way. And we followed it, and I had to take the little measurement tool and determine how far it was before the next turn and the next highway. Um, But there was a sense of direction, you know. And there was, my dad had driven this road many times, so I'd say, I think we need to go up here, we need to turn left on Highway 73. And he would say, do you think so? I'm like, that's what the map says. And he goes, well, I think it'd be better to go this other way. I'm like, well, Dad, the map, this is a pretty straight line. And then so I had to talk about Dad's experience and the way that he's driven this before. Uh, we had other ways of understanding what was ahead. Um, GPS isn't so different. Uh, it, it maps the road from where I want to be to where I want to go. And along the way, there are many turns and there are many curves. Uh, at times, there's an alert that will come up and say, there's an incident ahead. We found a shorter route. 
Would you like to take it? Sometimes the shorter route is not always the better route, right? Um, there are other obstacles that come with getting off of the beaten path in the main road. But there are those options along the way. But all along the way, there are two points that remain. There is the point of origin and the point of destination. Many different avenues by which we get to that point of destination. But we follow that route guidance because it has given us direction. We have given the input that is needed in order to find the direction. And frequently, that is the case with us as humans, isn't it? You know, we get here in the beginning of the year and we... Uh, we all have a resolu- resolution or two that we've set. Maybe yours are still going. Um, maybe you've already tossed them out. Maybe you've said, you know what, I'll do that next year. Um, maybe you haven't even begun. See, that's where I am. I haven't even begun my resolutions yet, so they're still intact. All right, I haven't given up on them yet. I just haven't started them yet. But I'm starting tomorrow, okay? I'm starting tomorrow. It's a new day and a new dawn with new direction. But we need direction. We need guidance. We need something along the way uh, to help us stay on course. In John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. Lewis read it for, for us a moment ago. Let's read it again here. It says, Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I am going. Lord Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the way. And, and you know, when we talk about the way, what we're talking about is a sense of personal direction. How do we achieve a sense of direction, of guidance, a path that is sure in a direction that we want to go? Um, not only personal direction, but a spiritual wholeness that frequently we lack. I think far too often we are content to settle for less than spiritual wholeness. We take a part of spirituality along with us, and Christianity is a part of who we are. The way of Jesus is a piece of the puzzle that makes up this person that I am, but it isn't a wholeness that we are called to. And with spiritual wholeness and direction comes a sense of belonging, a sense of completeness, a sense of fulfillment. That the way of the Lord is practically accessible for all the believers. And what I hope to stir up in you is a hope. A hope that we will seek God's guidance every day. Because it's really easy for me to just simply rely on my own way. On my own experience. On my own talents, on my own gifts, on my own ability that I forget how much I need the guidance of God and His Spirit to live the life that He's called me to live. We'll look at salvation, we'll look at obedience, we'll look at repentance, and we'll look at restoration to look at what it means and what it looks like to walk in the way of the Lord. And before uh, 
before the early church was given the name Christians by the people around them, they were called the way. Let's go over to Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 8, and look at what Paul says about this. I'm trying to remember what I put up here and what I didn't. All right. Acts chapter 22 and verse 1, uh, Paul says this, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even quieter, and he continued, I am a Jewish man, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and educated according to the strict view of our patriarchal law. Being zealous for God, just as all of you are today, I persecuted the way to the death, binding and putting both men and men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to bring those who were prisoners there to be punished in Jerusalem. As I was traveling near Damascus, at about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking. They were known as the way long before they were known as Christians. Maybe that comes from Jesus' statement, I am the way and the truth and the life. But what it says to us is that belief in Jesus is the entryway into a relationship with God. It is the point of entry into that relationship. And, and, you know, you can talk about many different things in life. There are many different people maybe that you want to come into contact with, that you want to get to know. How do you begin a relationship? We have to go through that with people. We have to go through that with coworkers. We have to go through that with friends. Um, maybe if you're on the dating scene, you've got to figure out, how do I have that first conversation with someone that maybe I'm interested in dating? Like you're looking for the entry point into a relationship. How do we begin? Sometimes that comes naturally. Sometimes it happens organically. Sometimes it has to be forced. Um, Heather and I met in August of 1995. Yes, I had to think about that for a minute. The summer after my senior year, um, and we met in a really quick, hi, how are you fashion. We talked a couple of times in the meantime, but you know what? Um, I was oblivious. Um, I knew her. I knew her name. I knew her friends, uh, but I was just kind of along for the ride in college. But it took a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, saying, hey, Josh, I have somebody I want you to meet. She'd really like to meet you. And you know, I'm like, great. <laughs> and so one day in the student center after chapel, uh, we met right outside um, the, the cafeteria. I'm getting in line to go eat lunch. I'm rushing Kappa, right? Right in the middle of rush week at Oklahoma Christian. And Liz walks up and she says, hey, Josh, this is Heather. Heather, this is Josh. And we sat there and we talked for about five minutes. And then my big brother, Jay Wyatt Earp. Yes, that was his given name. Jay Wyatt Earp. He was a junior at OC, and he had been a member of Kappa for three years. And he walked up and he said, hey, Fowler, we're going to Johnny's. Do you want to come? And I looked at Heather, and I looked at Jay, and I looked at Heather, and I looked at Jay. And I'm like, I'm really trying to get in this club. 
but I really would like to get to know this girl some more. And so I ran outside. I hopped in the back of the truck and said, I'll call you later. And went off to Johnny's. Yeah, I know. Oblivious. I needed an entry point, though, into that relationship that would grow into something far deeper and greater than anything I could have imagined at the time. What Jesus is saying to his disciples in John chapter 14 and what Paul is saying with his experience is that Jesus Christ is the way to relationship with something that you can't even fathom. You want a relationship with the creator of the universe, the only way to enter into relationship with God, with the Father, is through Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life in John 14 and verse 6. Thomas is looking around saying, I don't know the way. He's like, you don't, we don't know, even know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, it's just as simple as this. I am the way. Follow me. He's explaining to his disciples that believing in him is the only way to know the Father. The only way to get to any place worth going is through Jesus. That was the words to his apostles. And in uh, John chapter 10 and verse 9, Jesus describes himself as the door that people must walk through in order to get to the Father. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and he will find pasture. If you walk up to one of your friend's homes and you knock on the door and the door opens, I mean, do do you walk in and kind of stand in the entryway? No, that's what you do when you leave. Right, you stand in the entryway and leave because you don't want to leave. But when, when the door is opened and you walk in, you don't just stand around in the entryway. No, you come in and you, and you find rest. You sit on the couch. You go to the table. You came whatever you, whatever you came to do. You enjoy each other's company. But that entry point is the door. It's the way that we enter, but it's not where we stay. We had a whole bunch of, of friends over a, a, a few weeks ago. Dustin was home, and we had some other families from the neighborhood and uh, some of his friends over, and we're eating, and everybody comes in except for, I don't know if he thought our carpet was made out of lava or what, but they came in, and he was like, he like kind of stopped at the edge of the entryway, and he stood there for a moment, a, a long moment, like 15 or 20 minutes, and I came by, and he's like, he's still standing there in the entryway. I said, hey, come on in, have a seat. And he came in and had a seat, and he had a plate, and, and he ate, and, and then was apart. But something about that maybe was just a place where he felt comfortable. And how many times do we feel comfortable in an entryway of the relationship to the Father? And Jesus says, I am the door by which you enter into a relationship, and we step into the door, and it's like, okay, but this is far enough for me. And we enter through the door, but we don't find the pasture. We don't find the peace. We don't find the fulfillment that is promised to us in Christ Jesus because we don't come all the way in. We're not wholly invested in that direction. We're not wholly invested in who Jesus is. 
maybe we haven't bought wholly into the idea of self-sacrifice. The way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That is what Jesus proclaims. But the way of Jesus affects not only our religious practices, but it also has a greater effect on our understanding of life. All right, If you're looking for direction in life, you can find some of it in a self-help book. You can find it in vitamin C for the soul. You can find it in all kinds of how-to books and YouTube videos and all kinds of places out there. But it will never fulfill. It will never sustain until you understand that the way of Jesus affects everything about your life and about your perspective and about your way and your understanding of living. It changes all of those things. The way of Jesus transforms. It transforms Saul on the way to Damascus. It transforms us through the waters of baptism. And in it we find newness. The Greek word for way, which is used here in both John chapter 14 and Acts chapter 22, um, it just means a road, a progress, or a journey. And it is a journey. All right, the way of Jesus isn't the destination. Once I, you know, input all that information into my GPS system, I tell it where I am and where I want to go. It gives me a path. I've got to follow the path. I've got to follow the path. And, and along the way, you know, you know what happens. Sometimes I need gas, and I haven't told my GPS that I'm stopping to get gas. So as I'm getting off the highway, she's saying, <laughs> enter the highway. I'm like, I've got to get gas first. Yeah. Do you speak to your GPS? I'm glad it's not just me. Sometimes she speaks back. If you press the right button, we can have a conversation with this little piece of technology. But you can add those stops in along the way. There are some of those that are a little easier than others. You tell it, hey, I'm stopping for gas, and it'll take you to the nearest gas station. Do you want a new destination, or are we just adding a destination? It's like, no, we're just adding a stop along the way. And so it, it knows the route that we're taking. We know that there's something that we need. The same is true for the way of Jesus, that along the way there are places where we have to stop. There are detours that we are going to have to make in order to continue in the way that we have, but all along the way, the Spirit of God, the way of Jesus says, Here's a direction you are going. And if we are willing to follow where the Spirit leads, He leads us along the way in that direction. It gives us the guidance, it gives us the boundaries, it gives us the borders, but it is a process that we must be actively partaking in. And it is a process through which we are never content to stop and give up on. You know, if I'm traveling for the holidays and I'm looking forward to seeing family, I don't get halfway there and say, you know what, this is good enough. I didn't get to see mom and dad and my brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews, but I'm done. Home. And I'm not even going back. I'm just going to camp right here, and this is the new normal for me. That doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen on our spiritual journey either, but so frequently we get a little ways down the road and you go, oh, I'm tuckered out, man. This is good for now. 
we're just going to get a hotel room and we're going to camp right here at mediocre spiritual not holy spiritual there's a lot of people worse than me and there's a lot of people better than me but i'm good right here in the middle and i'm content to just be that sounds terrible doesn't it it sounds awful but isn't isn't that kind of what happens at times we just get complacent with what we have kind of grown to understand to be normal Jesus says my way is one that you never stop traveling you're always moving down the road to spiritual wholeness to be more like me each day that it's not just the outward religious practices but it is the way that you understand even the meaning of life following Jesus isn't just about following a set of rules it's a pattern to live by as we emulate the Savior himself You know, if I tell you right now, where's north? How many of you can, like, point to north? I like in Honduras, they kind of, they kind of just go, oh, no, but they don't point. They just go, oh, yeah, it's this way. Follow me. Because, you know, pointing is rude, so they don't point in a specific direction. You know, some people are very gifted with directions naturally. Generally speaking, I am too. And I'll, often Heather will say, hey, uh, do you know where we're going? And I say, yes, I know where we're going. And the first thing she does, uh, we're going to exit in about five miles. I, say, I said, I know where I'm going. You got, you, are you double checking me? You don't believe me? Like, uh, you just missed the exit. Like, I did what? <laughs> Pull it up. I, you know, or you get somewhere and you start second guessing yourself. I've been along the way when MapQuest used to be really, really, really hard to follow. You know, it would tell you every little curve and turn in the road. Oh, by the way, you need to be in the left lane because there's a little pothole in the right lane that you want to avoid. You know, it'll exit, travel 0.27 miles and then veer left. Travel 0.01 miles and then turn left. You know, it's, it's, it was so hard to follow. And I remember going, I was like, look, I don't need these directions. I know how to get there. And then after about 30 minutes, I'm like, I really feel like we're going the wrong way. And then you see a city that you're not supposed to be going through. Like, um, better find a place to stop and find a phone to call and say, hey, we're going to be a little late because Josh didn't follow the directions. Took a wrong turn, and so the whole trip is delayed. It's so easy to kind of get off on the wrong path. But we can't expect God to direct us if we stop communicating with Him either. Right? If we stop giving Him the input that He needs, the input that we need to be giving in order to have that way of communication, if we stop listening, if we stop engaging, how do we expect God to direct our path? That in order to understand and embrace direction, there's got to be this constant input, just like Thomas, a lot of us may be wondering, how can we get where we want to go? In John chapter 14, 5, he says, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? Maybe some of us, like Saul, are completely on the wrong path. We are wholly committed to the wrong path. I mean, Saul was in. He was going down the path that he believed was right until he met Christ. He said, Saul, I'm the one you've been persecuting. 
There's all kinds of ways for us to need the input of God. Maybe we're on a path of destruction, a path of opposition, or just a path of uncertainty. And it doesn't matter how long you've been on the road, it is never too late. God is never done with you. It doesn't matter how far away you are from God or how near you are to God. As long as you have breath, there is work to be done. That we live a life that is constantly seeking to be more and more like our Savior. The early believers are called uh, the way. Paul gives this testimony of his own conversion that involves him being along a way. As I was on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians, I encountered a light. A light from heaven that shone brighter than anything he had ever seen and a voice that only I could hear convicted him of his wrong. He says he was persecuting the way. And what he was doing, he thought was right. He thought it was honoring God. He thought he was doing the very thing that God had wanted him to do. But see, the thing about Paul is, what, what does Paul do when he understands, when he is made aware of his error? And I guess maybe the question for you and I is, what do we do when we are made aware of our error I know what I do I get real quick into the justifying thing into the defense thing <laughs> no, no, let me tell you why you are more wrong than I was <laughs> I might have been a little wrong but there's a lot of people that are more wrong or, or there are people that led me into that wrong so it's not me that really needs to be convicted of this I mean uh, it takes a lot of humility to just sit and say you know what I'm sorry. I was wrong. How can I make it right? Man, how, how different our lives would be if we could just learn those phrases, right? I'm sorry. I was wrong. How can I make it right? Paul is confronted by Jesus, and he says, You are wrong, Paul. You have been trained, you have been educated, you have been raised up, and you have been zealously fighting for the wrong thing. You've been persecuting Christians to the death, thinking you're pleasing God, and you are living in a way that is completely counter to the way God has asked you to live. It would have been real easy for Paul to say, Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute, light in the sky who just blinded me. This is your word that I was following. This is your scriptures that I was following. He could have been self-righteous. He could have been defensive. He certainly had developed the grounds to do so, at least from a human perspective. But he understood who he was addressing, who he was being addressed by. He acknowledged his wrongdoing. And he changed his life. And because he did, he was placed in a position to transform so many lives by his service. His life would never be the same, nor would any of the lives he would ever come into contact with in the future. Because of the one encounter Paul had with Jesus, 
Paul would devote the rest of his life to making sure that every soul he encountered knew who Jesus was. I believe with all of my heart that there was not a single person that came across Paul's path that didn't at least hear the name Jesus Christ. And I say the same thing about my own life. Because Paul understood that walking in the way was a life of direction devoted to being wholly spiritually engaged in the way of Jesus. But that was a point of entry for him. Where his life began anew, not a place where he had arrived and achieved everything he had always lived for. He devoted his life to making sure people knew that there was an opportunity for them to walk that same path. 